Am I on? You know when... Um, When you're asked to teach a section as, as broad, well, it really the whole concept of the story, it, it's, it's an interesting concept because you're trying to go through 66 books that are incredibly deep. I mean, if, if you just take a few verses out of the Bible, you can spend a lot of time mining the resources from those verses. But we're going through the whole book in a course of 31 weeks, and there's a lot of territory to cover. And for this morning, we're covering essentially the book of Joshua. And within the book of Joshua, there's a lot of things that you could focus in on. And this morning, I was, I was helping Christy set up for King's Kids. And Joanne Johnson came in and she was saying, well, it seems like in the fourth and fifth grade lesson, they're focusing an awful lot on Rahab the harlot. And, you know, she wasn't sure about teaching fourth and fifth graders about harlotry and stuff. But, of course, there's another message with Rahab. But, but that's the whole point. There's a lot to focus on. And the title in the story about our section this morning is The Battle Begins. And it's essentially about Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land. And what I've decided to do this morning is take a little bit of a different tact um, rather than focusing in on the Israelites' experience of moving into the promised land and what happened for them. I'm going to take that as a type for us. And what that means is, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul was telling the Corinthians that all of the things that were written in the Old Testament were written as examples or as lessons for us. And so there's a lot of things from the Old Testament that really do communicate to us a message about God's plan for us. And specifically, as the Israelites were going into the land, they were fulfilling a promise that God had made some 600 years previously to Abram. It was a promise God made to Abram even before he promised that Abram would have a son. He promised to Abram that the land would be his. And so for the Jewish people, the Israelites, there was a real focus on the land as a possession, taking a hold of that, and the land becoming a fulfillment then of the promise of God to Abram. But just like God has made a promise to the Israelites and fulfilled that in Joshua by leading them into the land, so too He has made a promise to each one of us here this morning who has come to faith in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul writes to the Ephesians that we have been given an inheritance also. Every Christian, every believer, has an inheritance. And our inheritance is in Jesus. So every one of us has an inheritance just like the Israelites had an inheritance. Our inheritance is in Christ. It's interesting, in, in Hebrews, it talks about um, Joshua leading the people into the land, the fulfillment of God's promise to the Jews, and it talks about the fact that David later wrote in Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the time in the wilderness. And Paul goes on to teach that by David saying, long after Joshua led the Israelites into the wilderness, today, that there was a communication of a message there that today there still remained for the people of God a rest 
that is a fulfillment of the promise of God. And of course, the rest comes in Jesus Christ. And as people who have come to faith in Christ, each one of us have a positional relationship with him. What that means is that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everything that God has in given to Christ, He has given to us. And positionally, we have that. In Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about the fact that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about the fact that we are seated with Him in the heavenly place. So we have all those things positionally. But what I want to talk about this morning is the reality that there's also a practical fulfillment of the promise of God to each one of us in Christ in this land, or rather in this life, which becomes our promised land. Now a lot of times you'll hear uh, old songs, hymns, spirituals, talking about the promised land as though the promised land were heaven. And the promised land is not a type of heaven. How many of you are expecting to go to heaven and face giants in opposition to you in heaven? I'm not. No, the promised land for us is this life in Christ and taking uh, control of this life in Christ, each one of us, fulfilling all that Christ has for us practically. Yes, we're there positionally with him, but he wants us to practically work out our salvation in such a fashion that he is able to fulfill and demonstrate his power through us. So I've come up with um, five B's, and it has nothing to do with barbecue, really. But five B's for entering the promised land, each one of us here this morning. And these are all taken from Joshua, from the experience that the Israelites had, but I think each one of us can take a hold of these and apply them to our lives. Five B's for entering the promised land. The first B is be strong and courageous. Beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and going through Joshua chapter 1, if you'll read carefully, you'll see that there are several admonitions, first through Moses to Joshua, and then secondarily from God to Joshua, to be strong and courageous. Because Joshua is beginning an endeavor that is going to be very challenging. There are giants in the land. Joshua is going to have to conquer them. And Moses is telling him, God subsequently is telling him, be strong and courageous. Now, why can we be strong and courageous as Christians? What's for the same reason that Joshua could? Because after each of those admonitions where he says, be strong and courageous, he says, for I am with you. So that's why we can be strong and courageous as believers, because God is with us. And in fact, beyond the promise to always be with us, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. No matter what. I will be with you. So you can be strong and courageous as you go forth into your workaday world, into your family life, whatever the circumstances are that you face. You need to encounter those with a bravery that comes through faith in the reality of God's presence with you. 
Faith is the key to true, true courage. And we know from Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen. We don't see God with us physically, but we have an assurance that He is with us because He has given us His promise. Read through Hebrews chapter 6, and what you'll find is that God, when He gave the promise to Abram, and subsequently when He gave the promise to us through Christ, He swore by Himself because there was no higher name by which he could swear his oath that he would fulfill the promise to be with them see we need to be a people strong and courageous bold as we step out in faith god is with us he is our emmanuel and we need to understand that with god for us who can be against us jesus said in john 15 5 without me you can do nothing but in Philippians 4.13, we all know that Paul wrote to the Philippians, through Christ, we can do all things. So again, the boldness that comes through faith, the courage and the strength that comes through a knowledge that God is walking with us in each moment of the day. The second B is to be in the Word. Joshua 1.8, God told Joshua that he was to meditate in the Word of God, in the, the law that had been given to him daily. It was an experience that Joshua was to take each day and renew. And he says to Joshua, Joshua, if you do this, then you will be successful in the land. In, in your... Uh, battle that lies before you you will accomplish those things that you desire but you must be in the word and i think that's true for us today as well we have to be a people of the word meditating in the word of god daily you know we talked about the first b being being strong and courageous and faith being the key to courage well how do we obtain faith what does the Bible say is the source of our faith? It's in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Exactly, the Word of God. That's how we increase our faith. That is the substance from which we draw our belief, is the Word of God. So we must be in the Word of God daily. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living, sharper than any two-edged sword able to divide asunder both the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. Now, I've, I've gone through the Bible in the, I don't know, the past, I've been a Christian for about 33 years, and in that time I've probably read from Genesis to Revelation more than 20 times for sure. I got a master's degree in biblical studies. I've been a student of the Bible ever since I became a Christian. But I'll tell you this, if I don't get in the Word today, I'm going to begin to starve. It's, it's like the person who feeds themselves. I don't care how much food and how healthy it is and how delicious it may have been, if you stop eating after about a week or so, what's going to happen? You're going to starve. You're going to begin to starve. You're going to be hungry. 
And it's the same for us spiritually. We've got to be in the Word of God daily. We've got to be meditating in the Word of God every day. It's very important to God that we believe what He has said. And He has communicated to us through His Word. If we are not students of the Word, if we are not in the Word of God daily, it's going to be very, very challenging for us to be able to accomplish the third B. And the third B is to beware of deception. Satan is the god of this world. If you read your Bible, you'll see that. And you'll also see that Jesus describes Satan as the father of lies. He was a deceiver from the beginning, Jesus said. So Satan operates in the arena of lies and deception. And as the god of this world, the world focuses on messages that are very deceptive, specifically as relates to the truth of God. So, the Israelites are going into the land. They've had a great victory at Jericho. They had a little trouble at Ai, but they got that straightened out. And then they're moving on, and in Joshua chapter 9, there's a very, very interesting passage. The Gibeonites, who are a people of the land, part of the, the group that Joshua and the Israelites are to destroy and, and wipe out, hear of what's been happening, and so they disguise themselves and send envoys to Joshua and to the leaders. And they disguise themselves as a people who have come from a far land. And they bring some crusted and molded bread with them, and they've got ragged clothes, and they're looking like they indeed have come from a far land. And they come to Joshua and to the leaders and they say, you know, we've heard what you are doing and the power of your God and the destruction that you are bringing to the land as you take it over. And we want to make a covenant with you. We want to be a people of covenant with you, Joshua. And Joshua and the leaders, without consulting God, without going to the word, do exactly that. They make a covenant with the Gibeonites. And subsequently, it is revealed that the Gibeonites have deceived them. And yet Joshua and the leaders, because of their covenant, are not able to then destroy the Gibeonites as God had directed. So they were deceived. We have to be aware of Satan's practice of deception. Throughout our media-driven culture today, we get all kinds of messages that are counter to the truth of God. If you are driving your substance of how to live your life from a source other than the Word of God, from television, from magazines, from newspapers, from keeping up with the Kardashians, whatever it is, I was watching that. The first time I ever watched it, I was at the gym the other day. I was watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and oh my gosh, it, it, it was astounding. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching that, I'm thinking, you know, this is a very popular show. There are a lot of people who, who, who feed on this and think that this is how you're supposed to live or that this is a desirable way to live. It's deceptive. Likewise, politics. Wherever you lean, whether you're to the right or to the left politically, if you get too involved in the political process as a, 
as a means of salvation, of well-being, of everything's going to be right if this person gets elected or that person gets elected. You're being deceived. Now, that's not to say that people should not be, Christians certainly should not be involved in the political process. I advocate for that. I think that's a good thing. But don't make a covenant with the political process. Likewise, religion. We're all here this morning as people of faith. Religion is important to us. But if we allow religion rather than relationship to become the driving force of our lives, then we have been deceived. Wealth. You know, there's a lot of discussion in our country right now about debt and what the future holds and how are we going to make it? What's going to happen to us if our government defaults? And I don't know how you guys all experienced that with the government default and shutdown and everything, but for me personally, it was, it was a time of uh, just refocusing on what really is important. Who is the source of my provision. If the government defaults, does that mean Jesus is removed from the throne? Who's my provider? I mean, he provides for the ravens and the birds of the air and the the flowers of the field are wondrously clothed, he said. So don't focus on wealth, religion, politics, or the messages that the media gives us because it's full of deception. And just like Joshua, without consulting with the Lord, was deceived by the Gibeonites, so too we, if we are not in the Word and we are not consulting with God daily and directly, we are candidates for deception as well. The fourth B is to be ready for battle. Steve said last week that the giants that the Israelites faced as they went to Kadesh Barnea and the spies went into the land and saw the giants, those giants were real. They weren't make-believe. They were real giants. There were battles that were going to lie ahead for the Israelites if they chose to enter into the land. We can't avoid that as Christians. There are going to be battles that we have to face. There will be giants that we will have to confront in our lives. Now, The giants can be different for different people. I was talking to Steve just this week about that. Sometimes our giants are our children and our relationship with them, our concerns for them, whether or not they may be prodigal or or whether or not something is not happening as we would wish for them. Sometimes the the giants can be loneliness, sickness, finances, as I mentioned. I don't know. I mean, each one of us have different giants that we have to confront and face and deal with. There will be battles, and we need to be prepared for those battles. As a, as a young Christian, I remember being very joyful one day. probably been saved for about three weeks, and I was thinking to myself, man, if this is what being a Christian is like, this is great. I was not fully aware of what lied ahead, or lied ahead, lay ahead, lied ahead something like that. And there have been battles, difficult times, struggles. But it's not so much the battles that we face 
conflicts, as I said. We're going to have battles. It's how are we going to fight those battles. You know, Joshua and the people of Israel must have looked pretty silly as they circled around Jericho for those seven days. Just marching. I mean, the people on the walls of Jericho must have thought they were out of their minds. And then they were blowing horns. I mean, it must have looked foolish to them. But here's the reality, folks. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. When those trumpets blew, those walls fell. And the the weapons of our warfare, the armor of God that we read about in, in Ephesians chapter 6, are all spiritually oriented. The word of God, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. These are things that we must clothe ourselves with when we go into battle if we are indeed to win that battle. Now sometimes we go into battles just like the Israelites did at Ai. Relying on our own strength. The, the military leaders told Joshua, they said, don't waste the whole army on Ai. It's a small city. You know, the way we wiped out Jericho, Ai will be no problem. Trust us. And so there was no consultation between Joshua and the Lord. There was no going to the Word of God to meditate upon it. And so they went to Ai. And what happened at Ai? They were soundly defeated by a much smaller force. They retreated. Tails between their legs. Because they chose to use weapons that were carnal versus weapons that were spiritual. And so we have to be prepared for battle and we also have to understand that we fight the battle, spiritually speaking, to take the promised land in a way that looks far different than the way the world fights its battles. In a worldly scheme, you know, you look at the Kardashians, they're doing pretty good. They got the money, they got the fame, they got the multiple relationships. What else could they want? But in a spiritual scheme, they're impoverished. It's very tragic. They're going into AI and they're going to be defeated soundly. So we have to be ready for battle and we have to be prepared how we are going to fight that battle. Always think of David and Goliath. David, a ruddy youth, goes out to see his brothers at the battlefield between the Israelites and the Philistines. David's probably about 16 or 17 at this time. And of course, we all know the story. No one's willing to go out and meet the giant Goliath, the champion of the Philistines. And David said, well, who's this guy compared to the uh, God of Israel? But there's an interesting part of that story that I think a lot of times people fail to to pay attention to. Saul, the leader of the Israelite army, tried to put his armor on David in order to prepare him for the battle with Goliath. And it's interesting that David responded. It was untested. It was not appropriate for the battle that he was getting ready to fight. So David took off the armor of Saul, essentially the weapons of the world, and he went out with five stones and a sling and brought down the giant. Those are the weapons of our warfare, people. So we have to be ready for battle. 
And we have to fight those battles in God's fashion. And finally, the fifth B is we must be decisive. Joshua 24, 15. Joshua's an old man. He's probably about 110 years old or so. He's fought many, many battles. And he's giving a message to the Israelites as he departs from this world, and they begin to move forward without him. And he says in 24.15 this, this wonderful phrase. He says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether it be the God of this world or Jehovah. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a very potent moment of decisive thinking. And here's what I want to communicate to you with regards to being decisive. In the moment of battle, you can't make your decision. You have to be prepared before the battle. Jesus said, a commander of an army of 10,000 must stop and take account of whether or not he can go out and defeat an army of 20,000. And if he can't, then he's got to think, maybe I need to make terms with We have to be prepared. Just as Joseph. Joseph, when he was confronted by Potiphar's wife, when she wanted him to come and lie with her. Do you think Joseph, in that moment of temptation, made his decision, should I sleep with her, should I not? Or had he made that decision long before then? What about Daniel? Daniel is taken as a a prisoner into Babylon. He and many other youth. Daniel, because he was of royal lineage and a, and a profound youth, was taken into the king's uh, courts, being prepared for service in the king's courts. And he was going to be given all the luxuries that Nebuchadnezzar had to give him in preparation for this ministry, for this service. Do you think Daniel, at that moment, made the decision about whether or not to defile himself with the king's food? If you read Daniel carefully, what you'll see is in the very beginning of the book, Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's food. We have to be prepared beforehand. There's an interesting story in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus has been up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. um, And the rest of the disciples have been down at the foot of the mountain. And as Jesus comes down with his disciples, he's confronted with the father of a son who is epileptic. And the epileptic boy is convulsing and is thrown into the fire and there's all different kinds of things happening. And the father comes to Jesus begging Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus' disciples who were down there had tried to heal his son. And they were sort of surprised that they couldn't because remember Jesus had sent them out before to heal and to cast out demons. And they had successfully done so. And so they were sort of astounded that they were not able to get this boy healed. And so Jesus healed the boy. And then the disciples came to him and asked him the question, why couldn't we do it, Lord? We've done this before. What was the problem? And Jesus said something very interesting. He said, this kind goes out by nothing but prayer and fasting. In other words, they weren't prepared for the battle. They had not decided 
before the battle presented itself to be prepared to cast out that demon, to heal this boy. So we have to be decisive. We have to make a decision about who we're going to serve. In John chapter 10, Jesus said that the God of this world, Satan, comes to rob and to kill and to destroy. And each one of us here are vulnerable to the God of this world if we allow ourselves to be. He can take our lives and destroy them through deception, through circumstances, if we allow that to occur. All of us have seen that happen to loved ones and and to people we know who have been deceived and whose lives have been wrecked as a result. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life. And that life may be more abundant. And here, folks, is what I'm trying to communicate is each one of us here have a promised land in Christ Jesus that we can go into and take a hold of. He wants us to have that abundant life. He wants us to have fulfillment within the promised land that He desires to give us. That is, in Christ Jesus, in the character of the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1-6, Paul writes to the Philippians, And this is important. I want you to walk away this morning with this verse in your mind, etched clearly in your mind. He says to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So just as the Israelites stepped into the promised land, had that first victory at at Jericho, had that first defeat at Ai, but continued to fight the battle, continue to move throughout the land and to fulfill the promise of God, so too you can, in your life, walk in fulfillment of the promise of God to take hold of the promised land that God has for you. He will be faithful to complete that work in you. He wants you to enter the land. He wants you to eat of the fruit of the land. And He wants you to enjoy the presence within the land that he has for you. The battle has begun. Some of you have been fighting it for a while. Some of you have just begun to fight. But be assured that God will finish